Welcome back. It's another rendition of A Few Extra Bucks, your podcast on pewterpowers.com. We'd like to thank our title sponsors, House of Brews and Lutes on the corner of North Del Mabry and Van Dyke. And of course, our friends at Sea Dog Brewing Company. Great locations on the beach in Treasure Island. And of course, in Clearwater, I'm Mike Neighbors. Uh, you know, the Bucks are off this Tuesday, but we are not off. We want to give you Bucks fans some perspective and look ahead and kind of look back and kind of get a feel for this football team as best as we can after hearing from Dirk Cutter on Monday. And we're going to have a lot of things coming up on pewterpirates.com. We'll have our video wrap tomorrow after we talk to the players gearing up for the world champion Philadelphia Eagles coming to Raymond James Stadium for the home opener this Sunday. All right, let's bring in our voice of reason, our producer, Justin Thomas. I know you brought in a lot of good sound from Dirk Cutter, right? I did. A lot of great stuff. Yeah, where Dirk Cutter uh, finally admits who calls the plays. We'll get to that in a second. And then we'll have Roy Cummings, our Buccaneer insider. Uh, right off the bat, Roy, I want to I talk about this. You know, Dirk Cutter, he's not perfect. He's been up and down as head coach, but he is consistent when it comes to season openers. He's won all three since he's been the head coach of the Buccaneers. Now, the first year, things turned out pretty good. They won nine games. Of course, last year was abysmal. Jameis Winston's injury. And then you have this year. We'll see if they can parlay the great road win against the New Orleans Saints into a great season. But what do you make of Cutter being 3-0 in season openers? Is there something to be said for that? Is that just coincidence? I know every season's different. What do you think of that? I, I really think it's just a coincidence. I don't, I don't think it's a situation where, you know, he's, he, he coaches better in, in game one or the team's better prepared in game one or that they have a, a lesser opponent. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's really just a coincidence. Um, you know, one of those quirks of, uh, you know, quirks of the schedule, quirks of nature, whatever you want to call it. But I'll tell you what, it, it's a good thing. Yes, it didn't work out last year because a lot of things out of their control, uh, you know, happened beyond that. Um, you know, some things in their control, but, you know, the injuries started to pile up. But here, I mean, you can't beat a good start. And, you know, I was kind of thinking back on this game anyway and thinking, gosh, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the defense really struggled right out of the gate. Um, you know, go down seven nothing. It seems like the Bucks are always playing from behind. But you know, one thing they're not playing from behind right now on is the schedule, and that's good when you got the two teams coming in that they got coming in uh, the next two weeks. Yeah, Dirk Cutter had an impressive win against the Saints last Sunday, but that first game he ever coached in Atlanta that was an impressive win too, going on the road and winning that game against the Falcons. Okay, let's talk about you know one of the top stories with the Bucks. We were wondering last time we all talked. Why is Dirk Cutter not admitting who's calling plays? Well, how about this? He finally did. Giving some credit to his offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, in Monday's presser. Here goes. Munk did a great job calling the plays yesterday, but uh, uh, the Buccaneers did a great job of executing the plays yesterday. And uh, that's, uh, that, that was a great example of ex- execution. Monk, Monk did a terrific job. Uh, we had good rhythm. We've had good rhythm all through the preseason. But uh, that was that was a game of execution. We should have Justin play the Hallelujah Chorus. Dirk, was it hard? There you go. I'll, that's all you had to say. We'll leave you alone now. We won't ask you about it anymore. You know why? Why the turnaround? Why the one eighty? You think? I don't know. I think he finally just you know decided you know like maybe a lot of people were saying like we were saying it's it's like you're being silly here. You know what's what's the big deal really? And and I look, you're talking to a guy who doesn't think it matters that much who calls the plays. And by the way, boy, Dirk Cutter sure sounded an awful lot like some guy I know named Roy Cummings, uh, who said exactly what he said uh, Sunday after the game and has said it repeatedly on uh, numerous radio interviews that I've done since. But, I mean, he's right. 
at the end of the day, and as we talked about it, Mike um, and Justin, you guys know, I broke down what that play sheet is like and what it, what is on there. And at the end of the day, there's not that that many options. I mean, you know, you know pretty much what you're going to call uh, in most situations anyway. You know what your best play is. You know what you, you run well. You know what the quarterback likes. And you take it from there. And really then it's a matter of executing the plays. And I agree with Dirk Cutter 100%. It was a matter of executing the plays that were called. That was the difference in the game offensively. Well, my whole point is, you're right. I don't think it's a big deal, but he made it a big deal. So it became a bigger deal than it should have been. I thought this was one of the most interesting things uh, out of his press conference after the Saints game when they got back in town to Tampa at one buck place. You know, he was criticized last year for having a soft training camp. Hard Knocks was there. Maybe that team wasn't ready. You know, you could point at so many things when a team you know only wins five games. But he admitted in this press conference that practices have been better this offseason, this training camp, and this season so far? I think these guys have done a good job of uh, practicing practicing harder, longer. I mean, we, we, we practiced hard enough in the past, but I think just harder, longer, you know, especially during training camp. Those, are, those can get monotonous for the players at times, especially for the guys that aren't new. I mean, it, you know, for rookies, for young guys or new guys to your team, training camp practices, there's always learning. But for guys like Mike and Hump and – uh, Cam Braid, some guys like that who have been here uh, going in their fourth year, they've heard those installs many times. Harder, longer. What do you think of that? Well, uh, I, I don't disagree with that, um, but I'll say this. Uh, the thing that's different for me is, and Mike, you were there last year. Uh, we were, You and I were there every practice. Um, we heard it repeatedly from Dirk Cutter last year, how he would come off the field um, numerous, dozens of times during training camp preseason. Uh, clearly unhappy with the tempo of practice. Yeah. Um, it became a, a bit of an issue. I, I remember late in the in training camp when they started running gassers uh, for the first time, and I pointed it out to him, and he said, well, what's the big deal about football players running gassers? I said, you've never seen that before? I said, no, I've never seen it in this camp before. But this year, <laughs> they, this year they, they did it uh, after every practice, um, and, and we, saw, we held, seldom have ever heard dirt cutter talk about a bad tempo in practice. They didn't always have, you know, great practices, but we seldom have ever heard him complaining about the tempo, the effort in practice, that kind of thing. Um, I think he got a lot more out of these guys during the workouts than uh, he got last year. And I think uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, I think that kind of set this team up for, uh, for the success they had in opening week. You know, you know, we, we've talked about Monkey calling the plays and now we're touching on practice. Uh, it seems like, you know, always when a team struggles and you have lame duck, a head coach and, and potentially a general manager here in Jason Light, you want to fine tune things. And we're seeing that with this football team. We're seeing that with the play calling. We're seeing that with practice. We're seeing it with subtle things. I think it, it was a harder training camp than it was a year ago. Uh, you know, can you can you point to some of that? Because obviously you have meetings when a season's over after a bad season like they had last year. And and we're seeing, you know, obviously some things that probably came out of those meetings. Yeah, I think we are. And um, yeah, I mean, I think some of it, you know, probably has to do with the fact that you've got a, a potentially lame duck or, you know, coach that's on the hot seat and a and a GM. But, you know, Jason Light got his contract extended. Let's not forget that. I just think that I think the Bucks learned from last year. I think they went into last year um, believing all the press clippings, as we used to call them when there were press clippings, <laughs> um, you know, the, everything that was being said about them. 
uh, that they were the darling team of the NFL, that they were ready to break out, that they were on the verge of a, of a big playoff run, uh, potentially a very deep playoff run. I think they all believed that, and I think they lost their edge. And I think they learned um, just how much that edge, how important that edge is. And I think there's a little bit of uh, uh, animosity, uh, some angst built up with this team this year because it's completely different. They're not the darling of the NFL anymore. They're one of the most disrespected teams in the NFL. Uh, they're, they're picked to win one game by the Sporting News. They're uh, number 31, if not 32, on uh, everybody's um, uh, strength or uh, what is it, power rankings. Um, that kind of thing. Nobody gave them a chance against New Orleans, obviously. Uh, I think they've taken that to heart and said, look, we're better than that. Let's go prove that we're better than that. And they did on opening week. Well, two guys who really look great, obviously, in that first game were wide receivers Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson. 12 catches they combined for 293 yards uh, receiving and three touchdowns. Two guys who were, were almost perfect in that game against the New Orleans Saints. Dirk Cutter talked about having his top two guys, and I know Chris Godwin's considered an up-and-comer, but having his top two guys be perfect in that first game. To hit them all, all 12 of those times is, is pretty unusual. And uh, I thought Deshaun and Mike both have really practiced hard leading up to this point and worked on things that uh, we knew were going to come up in this game, and uh, I thought that really helped. And Fitz made good decisions as well. Yeah, 12 targets is what he's alluding to, and that would be 12 catches. And, you know, we saw some of that from Mike Evans last year, but not the consistency he wanted in terms of yards after the catch. That's something he even said in the offseason he wanted to improve on. He's already done that in the first game. And Deshaun Jackson, and we've talked about that in the last couple of podcasts, how he just looks like a rededicated guy. And it goes back to the narrative you just talked about, maybe some angst there that he's heard a lot of things, and he's a prideful player. He's been in this league a long time, and he's a guy that wants the football. And when you give him the football – uh, he's going to be a happier guy. You'd probably say that about him more than any receiver on this football team in terms of demanding the football. But having those two guys do what they do, Roy, how dangerous is this offense going to be moving forward? And we'll talk about Philadelphia in our next podcast coming up more on Thursday. But having Mike Evans and having Deshaun Jackson, 12 targets, 12 catches, and then you have guys like Godwin, Howard, Cam Bray, and then the running game. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy to me how good this offense can be. And we saw it against New Orleans. Yeah, you know, the Buccaneers set a record on Sunday for most points by their offense in a game, uh, or tied a record, I should say. Um, and, and you know what? We shouldn't be surprised. This is the best offense the Buccaneers have ever had. Uh, it's the deepest offense, the most talented offense. Um, we should not be surprised by record-setting performances. We should be expecting them out of this unit, no matter who's a quarterback, really. Um, I mean, it might be different if Ryan Griffin were in there, but whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, in my opinion, a savvy veteran, proved it the other the other day, or Jameis Winston, an up-and-coming kid who I think figured some things out late last year, this is a record-setting offense. It should be. The talent is there. Um, the the you know the, you get the play calls right, you execute the plays right. You should you should be able to put up 28, 30 points on a on a on a daily base on a Sunday basis. Uh, these guys, uh, they're one of the best offenses in the league. And I think by the end of the season, people are going to recognize it as that. I thought it was an interesting stat. They scored 48 points against the New Orleans Saints. The last time they scored 48 points was when they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That was kind of a big game. 
It kind of was. So uh, maybe that's a good omen for the Bucks. All right, let's talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, I don't know how much more we can talk about him. I mean, the, the fact that this guy did what he did, his best game as a pro, 417 passing yards, four touchdowns, uh, just unbelievable effort. Dirk Cutter was asked about, you know, the kind of guy he is. And he at first said, you know, it's kind of hard for me to answer that question. But then he went into more detail. He's a down-to-earth guy. He's got a great sense of humor. He's witty. He's intelligent. He's well-spoken. He backs up what he says with how he plays. I mean, the players respect him. He doesn't try to come on too strong, but at the same time, he's a good leader. When we talked, I think, early in the year about the difference between James Jameis's leadership style and Fitz's leadership style, you can there's different ways to do it, and there's two good examples of it, both both good leaders, and, and we've had other, other good leaders step up so far. Do a little Jameis in there. That was nice of Dirk Cutter. Yeah, you know, you talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick. The one thing to me, we can throw out all the numbers we want uh, about that opening win, but no interceptions. And you know what? I know it's the preseason, but we haven't seen any interceptions out of this, these quarterbacks in the preseason or so far in the regular season. And if they continue to do that, something that actually has plagued Fitzpatrick and, and Jameis Winston, you do that along with using all these weapons, uh, it'll be fun to watch this offense. Yeah, Will, uh, you might have just jinxed him on that uh, interception yeah. thing. I knocked on one. Yeah. that? <laughs> But, you know, you would have expected one or two by now. Um, I'm a little surprised they don't have one. But, you know, look, that goes back to the fact that on Sunday uh, in particular, uh, there's no question, uh, as I said before, um, Ryan Fitzpatrick was exquisite in terms of decision-making. Every time he threw the ball, he made the right throw. Every time he decided to tuck it and run, he made the right throw. He went up to the line of scrimmage, and I don't think he you know, missed one call one audible. It seemed like he was just right on the mark with everything he was doing uh, the whole way through. And, uh, uh, you know, the Bucks benefited from it. So as long as you continue to make the, the right decisions uh, with the ball in your hands in terms of throwing it, uh, you know, you throw it away when, when the play's not there and you take advantage of the play that is there, you're going to be successful and you're going to probably be turnover free. Uh, every once in a while, something's going to get tipped. You're going to make a mistake. But this is the part where Jameis Winston probably has to learn uh, such a good learning tool, this particular game on tape for James Winston. Go back and watch how Ryan Fitzpatrick basically took what the defense gave him, even when it was deep. You know, he found the one-on-one coverage, threw the ball down the field, gave his receiver a chance to to catch it as long as he beat the defender, and most of the time they beat the, beat the defender. So uh, the lesson to be learned there for James Winston, give your team a chance. Give the players a chance. Let them make plays. Get the ball in their hands and be content taking what the defense gives you because sometimes the defense is going to give you that long ball too. So uh, that's the thing that I think, you know, is, is the, one of the reasons they haven't given up uh, a pick yet uh, because both quarterbacks in preseason were, were playing smart like that. And obviously uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick carried it over into the regular season on Sunday. We'll see how much power I have uh, with the interceptions moving forward. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, also the second leading rusher for the Bucks. He had a rushing touchdown and 36 rushing yards. And each one of those yards were, were huge, especially that last run for a first down for this football team. You had Peyton Barber. I thought Peyton Barber very promising in that game against the New Orleans Saints. 69 yards, averaged uh, 3.63 per touch. We didn't really touch on this last time because there was so much to get into with the Bucks win over the Saints. But the offensive line was very impressive in so many ways for the Bucs. And I, I cover the Saints along with the Bucs. I remember talking to Shelton Rankins after the game, the, 
defensive tackle for the for the Saints, and I asked him the difference in the offensive line this year because obviously he's faced the Bucks for a few years. And he first guy he said right away, Ryan Jensen. He said Ryan Jensen has changed that offensive line, and we saw it in that game. Yeah, look, Ryan Jensen brings uh, another level of not just experience to the Bucks line that, that was needed, but you know, top level experience. This is a Pro Bowl caliber player. One of the meanest players in the NFL. That's always a good thing for an offensive line. Um, and what it does is it it allows Ali Marpet to go back to guard, which is his best spot. Now he's next to Donovan Smith, and in my opinion, I, I think that uh, I think the combination of uh, Donovan Smith at left tackle and Ali Marpet at left guard, uh, in particular, along with Jensen obviously at center, is going to uh, I think it's going to make for a real strength for this running game going forward. Those three guys, I think, are going to allow this team to run the ball left uh, at, at a pretty good clip. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, or maybe even you know, before the season, well before the season's out, you might start to see some some splits where the Bucks are averaging maybe 5.6, 6 yards a, a carry off on the left side, and maybe only <laughs> and a little bit less than that, maybe half, of the, half as much uh, over on the right side because that left side is strong right now, and, and Ryan Jensen's part of that. Is this a redshirt season for Ronald Jones? Not yet, um, but he's got to. He's. It can't be because I think it's the last season for Jaquiz Rogers. Um, I, I think Quiz has lost his fastball. I think he's lost his burst. Uh, you know, he, he's still a serviceable guy, um, but he was never any anything more than a serviceable guy. If you take a serviceable guy like Jaquiz Rogers and try to put him into a role that's too big for him. Uh, you're not going to be happy with the results. Uh, losing Charles Sims hurts. Um, you know, they, I, I, it can't be a red shirt season for him. I'm still surprised. And look, I said it on our podcast a couple of times uh, near the end of the preseason. I thought the Bucks would go out and get a running back. I'm a little surprised they didn't pick up Mike Gillisley, um, you know, just to, to add some depth there. I guess they're happy with the core they've got, uh, including Ronald Jones. But uh, right now, in my opinion, it cannot be a red shirt season for Ronald Jones. He's got to figure it out. And he's going to have to figure it out fast. Um, I, I have a lot of belief and faith in uh, Peyton Barber. I think he can be solid. But right now, I'm not sure Peyton Barber is uh, a guy that the Bucks really want to give the ball to any more than maybe 18 times a game, tops. Uh, so I think they've got to find somebody else uh, to, to play as a compliment to him. And if they, if they don't find it, uh, they're going to have some trouble moving the ball on the ground. Yeah, like I said earlier, we're going to dive into the Eagles preview coming up on Thursday in our podcast. This is kind of a state of the Bucks. I know the Bucks fans are always hungry for sound and analysis, and the Bucks are off today, so we'd like to give you something on a Tuesday. Let's talk about the defense quickly before we get to our three and out segment, Roy. Uh, the rookie cornerbacks, you know, uh, Carlton Davis, MJ Stewart got thrown in there against Drew Brees, and Dirk Cutter said, you know what, uh, as expected, uh, the result is what it is. Well, if you're a rookie cornerback – and your first NFL game is is in the Superdome against a Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, I would say that they did about how most rookie cornerbacks would do in that in that same situation. So, uh, they I thought they both got better as the game went on, and I think they both learned some lessons that will carry with them as we move forward. And I think it's those guys have a lot of promise, but uh, it would be nice to have Brent Grimes back, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Um, you know, I'll, I'll echo a little bit of what. Uh, Dirk Cutter just said, and I, and I said this many times before, um, you know, leading up to the game, I, I don't understand why NFL fans 
if you've been around the game for any more than a couple of years, you have to be smarter than to think that some rookie cornerback is going to go out there uh, and play at a, at a high caliber. It's high, you know, at a high level. It's just not going to happen. It is next to quarterback and left tackle, and maybe just next to quarterback. It is the toughest position to play in this game. And when you're facing quarterbacks like Drew Brees and next week even Nick Foles and beyond that Ben Roethlisberger, it is going to be tough. Every game for your first year plus is going to be a learning lesson, and you are going to learn something different, and they are going to pick on you. They were picking on Carlton Davis early on because he was allowing them to get to, he was allowing himself to get picked on, and they're going to find the weakness in that guy. I don't care how talented he is. It's, it's about talent, but it's also about understanding um, how to mirror a, a receiver, understanding his, you know, his, his tendencies and his routes, things like that, the adjustments you have to make, just very, very difficult. And um, I agree with Dirk. You know, the good news, the best news is they didn't cost the Bucks a game, okay? And, yeah. uh, you know, go back and, again, you know, look at how Vernon Hargraves, who was the 11th overall pick in the draft, and most people in that draft class thought he was by far the best cornerback in the draft and probably worthy of a pick higher than 11th overall. That was the best cornerback in that draft. And it was a pretty good cornerback draft. We're talking this year about guys like MJ Stewart, Carlton Davis, Jordan White. We're talking about defensive backs selected in the third, fourth round, fifth round. What, why, what makes anyone think that these guys are going to go out there and establish the Buccaneers as some special secondary? It's not going to happen. They're going to get picked on. They're going to get beat. And you better just hope that the safeties behind them or the linebackers are covering their butts because if they're not, they are going to cost this team a game. And guess what? That is going to happen. That's one of the problems this team has. They are very thin at cornerback. Vernon Hargraves is hurt. Brent Grimes is hurt. Uh, they, they are going to need those young corners to step up in a big way. But as best as good as they step up, they're still going to slip. And when they slip, it's going to cost his team in a big way. So they did a good job, uh, you know, recovering from from some mistakes early on. Got better as the game went on, as Dirk said. Um, but boy, oh boy, you just don't want to hope that you're throwing rookies out there in the secondary in the NFL against quarterbacks the likes of which the Bucks are going to face all season because you're going to lose that uh, that that game more or that situation in that situation more often than you win. You mentioned Vernon Hargrave. Dirk Cutter had a lot of great things to say about him in Monday's press conference. Very happy with the way he's rebounded in the offseason. And in the first game, he forced that big fumble that Justin Evans scooped up and scored a touchdown with a pivotal play in the game against the Saints. All right, well, we're nearing the finish line here. It's time for three and out. And you know what time that is, Justin. Dean Rayburn, baby. Vintage <laughs> 70s, 80s game show stuff there. We love it. All right, this is three and out. Three questions for Roy Cummings, and he's out of here. He has not seen these questions. You know what I love about the uh, football season, the NFL? You have overreaction in the preseason, and then you have week one overreaction. I'm looking at two rookie quarterbacks here. One is the first overall pick, Baker Mayfield. Another one is Sam Darnold, who was the second quarterback picked in this NFL draft. Baker Mayfield didn't play. Darnold lit it up for the Jets. If you were starting a franchise right now, who would you take, Roy Cummings? Oh, it's not even close. Sam Darnold. Wow. Was, uh, in my opinion, he was the best, uh, most prepared quarterback uh, in the draft last year coming out of college. 
Um, I understand what Baker Mayfield can do. Um, I think he was gonna. He was. I think he was more effective in college than he ever will be in the NFL. Um, he's got a skill set that 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 will work in this league. Um, but you've got to cater your offense to it. Um, Sam Darnold has the size. He's a drop back passer. He's a smart kid. He understands pro concepts. Um, he's going to be around the league for a good 10, 12, 15 years, maybe more. And uh, he will be one of those guys who consistently, uh, in my opinion, after in time, will uh, have his team in, in the playoff hunt. So Cleveland screwed up again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, I expect nothing, nothing else from Cleveland. I love Baker Mayfield, but you may be right on that one. I know it's early. It's early, but that's why we do podcasts, and that's why we can have fun. All right, here's our second question in our three and out. All right, I know it's early again, but we can have fun with this. In the NFC South, we've had one game so far this NFL season, but who are you most scared of if you're the Bucks? Saints, Falcons, or Panthers? Wow, uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, I'm still going to say the Falcons. Uh, I, I still think they're the best team in the division uh, from top to bottom. Uh, I still think they – you know, I still think they're riding a little bit of a high from the Super Bowl a couple years ago, and I think they're just mad that they didn't get back there last year. Um, I think they've got, in my opinion, probably the best quarterback in the division. Um, I'll, I'll give uh, Matt Ryan the edge over Drew Brees just because he's a little bit younger. I think Brees is, you know, maybe uh, it, the arm strength's not quite what it used to be. I mean, he's smart enough to make every play. But I just think that uh, overall depth of the roster – uh, premier players. I think the Falcons are the better team. Yeah, that's a tough question too. I still think the Saints are a playoff team. I still see all three three of these teams potentially going to the playoffs. I'm still seeing the Bucks. It's kind of that team on the outside looking in. Yeah. There's something about this Panthers team though. I think Cam Newton has more weapons. I like that Norv Turner may help him a little bit. I think that Panthers team. I'm not going to say that I'm the most scared of them, but I think they're the most interesting team because I think they can do a lot because they have things that they haven't had in the past. So we'll see on that. Okay, last question. We'll get you out of here. In this Tampa Bay market, right now the Lightning have reigned supreme for years. But today it was announced their general manager, Steve Eiserman, is stepping down with being an advisor for one more year. I don't really know the dynamics of what's going on over there. But my question to you is, in two years from now, who's going to be more successful, Roy? The Lightning, the Rays, the Red Hot Rays, or the Bucks. Wow. Um, man. How about that one, huh? I'll say this. I'm going to pick the Lightning, and here's why. Steve Eiserman has set this team up for a long run of success. He did a tremendous job the last two years of maintain, retaining uh, their best players. They're, they're in a salary cap situation uh, that they can manage. Um, yeah. They've got a lot of depth at a lot of places. I think uh, Steve Eiserman has set this team up to be one of the most dynamic teams in the NFL, uh, in NFL, NHL for at least another five years. I'm going to pick the Lightning. Um, I just I believe in them, man. They've done it already, and I don't see them getting any worse. I would pick the Lightning too. 
I'd love to pick the Rays. I'm a baseball guy like you, but the problem is they're in the division with the dang Red Sox and, and Yankees, and that makes it really tough on them. And, no and matter how, how much they maneuver the roster, no matter how much they do this innovative pitching routine where they have 80 pitchers every game, it's been a fun season for the Rays, but that's a roadblock. But, yeah, once you put that in place, you see that really in any league. If you put that formula in place, it lasts for a while. Yeah, and, and, and as you said with the Rays, I'll say about the Bucks, they're in the toughest division in the NFL. Yeah, they've got the the Saints and they've got the Falcons and they've got the Panthers. Who you know, you could toss a coin and say, okay, these this, this is your division champion this year. All of them are capable of getting to the playoffs, in my opinion. And uh, I'll be surprised if at least two of them don't. So I th- I think the NFC uh, South is uh, in essence the uh, the AL East of the NFL. Poor Bucks, they just can't catch a break. Yeah. Well, Justin Thomas is not in Tampa Bay. He's in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. Justin, before we go, did did Roy and I leave anything out? Uh, you didn't leave anything out, but Roy, I- I'm curious what Matt Ryan has on you for you to pick him to be the better QB than Drew Brees. <laughs> well, I'm not saying he's the better QB talent or historically. No, but right now he's you're QB saying he's now. the better one. No, yeah, he is. He's the better quarterback right now. Wow. He's the better quarterback. I don't see. He'll finish I, I, after, after that first game, I don't see any drop off in Drew Brees. I mean, he was. Th- well, I don't see any drop off in Matt Ryan. Well, what about the red zone? Yeah, exactly. Up? I mean, the Saints were able to score. That's 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 not his fault. That's not his fault. That's you know, there, there's other players involved in that. He is he is in just my opinion. He's the best quarterback right now in this division. Uh, Drew Brees is is a talent that is uh, fading in a way, not not significantly. Um, Drew Brees is not playing his best foot the best football of his career right now. Matt Ryan is. Interesting. Well, you know what, Justin? That was uh, we're kind of ganging up on Roy there. <laughs> and, and by the way, Drew Brees is going to the Hall of Fame. There's no doubt about that. I don't think Matt Ryan's going to the Hall of Fame, um, but right now Matt Ryan's the best quarterback in this division. All right. Well, that wraps up three and out. That wraps up a few extra bucks. I'd like to thank Justin Thomas. I'd like to thank Roy Cummings. I'd like to thank our title sponsors, House of Brews and Lutz, Florida. On the corner of Northdale Mabry and Van Dyke, great place. And Sea Dog Brewing Company, two great locations in Clearwater and Treasure Island on the beach. Great brews, great food, great service. Please subscribe to PeterPirates.com. It is free, folks, and our podcast is blowing up. We started off with, uh, you know, Roy's wife and uh, a couple of my family members and Justin's friends. And now we're having hundreds and hundreds of people pile on. So we appreciate you listening. Uh, we're really gaining a lot of traction each week. We're on iTunes now. So subscribe to PeterPirates.com. Check out our videos and all our segments. We have a rookie diary with MJ Stewart, and we have all kinds of special things coming up. So it's free. Enjoy it. Thanks for listening to a few extra bucks podcast. We'll talk to you again on Thursday, previewing the home opener against those world champion Eagles. Eagles.